A bill aimed at revamping family court procedures is making its way through Parliament. The Justice Minister, Judith Collins, says changes are needed, but the bill attracted almost 400 submissions when it was before the Justice and Electoral Select Committee. This Radio New Zealand Insight programme asks why has it attracted so much attention. A little over 30 years ago, the family court was established as a specialised forum to help families resolve disputes. While only about 10% of those whose relationships break up need to use the family court, the cost of running it has risen by about 70% in the last five or six years. The Justice Minister, Judith Collins, says a huge industry's grown around the court and it's time that was reined in. There has been a certain section of the legal profession where pretty much every client that goes to them ends up in court. Now, that tells me there's something wrong. The matter has become, let's go to court because that's how the funding follows the court proceedings, and that's got to stop, in my opinion, except where it's needed. However, some critics say the reforms go too far. They include Heather Henaray, the chief executive of Women's Refuge, who is concerned that moves to restrict the involvement of lawyers early in family court processes could impact negatively on domestic violence victims. If they're in an environment where they are up against their abuser or up against the person who they are trying to effectively secure some protection around their children from, that's going to be extremely difficult within a court environment. How are they going to let the judge know that if they don't have legal support behind them? I'm Anne-Marie May and in this programme I examine some of the proposed changes to the family court and how they might impact on court users and others involved in the process. You think I go out with my mates just to make your life a misery? Shut up! Do you? Shut up! When was the last time you put your arms around me? Leave me alone! Am I invisible? Shut up! Just shut up! Leave me alone! Shut up! Look! Shut up! Listen, I'm doing the best that I can! It's said that breaking up is hard to do, but the Justice Minister, Judith Collins, says the changes she's suggested will provide a fast and efficient resolution of private disputes and put the needs of children first. Under the proposed changes, it will be mandatory for those approaching the court with regard to matters of parenting or guardianship to attend a new dispute resolution service. The service will use trained mediators to work through the issues involved with both parties and it's hoped that may avoid the need for long, drawn-out court cases. There will also be more use of a Parenting Through Separation course, which has already provided valuable help for many parents. Judith Collins says both those tools will help parties to work out end-of-relationship issues themselves. She says that questions such as where a child will spend Christmas or what extracurricular activities it will be involved in are not things that need to be before the court. Why is there ever thought a sensible issue to take to court? It's not a legal argument, it's a relationship management issue. So my view has been very firmly, if we can keep people out of the family court except where they should be in the family court, we are going to have more time for those matters that they should be dealing with. The principal family court judge, Lawrence Ryan, says the new family dispute resolution service could bring benefits to couples, including helping them to begin mediation much more quickly after a breakup, instead of having to file an application and await court hearing time. The second is, it's the nature of these sort of proceedings being adversarial, that people make allegations, they want to present the best case possible to the court, therefore they tend to begin to take positions right at the very beginning if they have to file court papers. This will avoid that sort of thing happening. 
Couples accessing the Family Dispute Resolution Service will pay a fee of around $900, but those who meet the criteria for a lawyer funded by legal aid won't have to pay. Gary Collin, who chairs the Law Society's Family Law Section, says that means people with low incomes will still have to pay, adding to the financial pressures that come with separation. People need to find a new house, they need to buy a new washing machine, they need to connect up their power and telephone, they may have new childcare arrangements. So imposing on people who are already stressed and who have low income and may have low resources a compulsory fee really prevents access to justice, and I think that's an incredibly important issue. However, Judith Collins doesn't believe the fee will make the service inaccessible to some court users. Bear in mind, the alternative is to go into court system as we have now, where there's legal fees, where there's time, there's all these things. And frankly, $450 is about an hour's worth of a lawyer's time. And we're talking six sessions of mediation to get a matter sorted so you don't have to come back. So it's pretty good. Alan Harvey, the national president of the Union of Fathers, a lobby group for men involved in the family court process, also sees the value in couples contributing to the cost of mediation. If people don't have to contribute themselves, then they don't value the service. One of the major problems that many of our members talk about is where one party is on legal aid and they're funding lawyers themselves. One party almost has an unlimited barrel of money and can just drive up the costs for the other party. The bill's provisions also include a reduction in family court counselling hours. Currently, couples can access six hours of counselling, but the original bill proposed reducing that to just one. After concerns were raised during the select committee process, the bill now allows for up to three hours of counselling before couples enter the dispute resolution process. But critics of the bill still question whether that's enough. A board member of the National Network of Stopping Violence, Jeremy Logan, told a select committee hearing earlier this year that his group was concerned the dispute resolution service would be an inadequate replacement for counselling. It will focus only on the immediate issues and unlike specialised counselling will not enable couples to get to the deep issues causing the conflict between them. Research points that counselling which enhances couples' relationship skills offers significant advantage to children across both relationships that are intact or through the separation process. Gail Teal, a counsellor with Catholic Social Services in Wellington, echoes that concern. She says research done by the New Zealand Association of Counsellors last year showed that up to 80% of couples who took part in the counselling currently offered went on to have no further involvement with the family court. Ms Teal says the reduction in counselling appears to be part of a changing focus for the family court. The idea of preparing people ready for the family dispute resolution would suggest to me that there's probably not going to be any room for people who are actually wanting to do that more early intervention counselling of actually trying to improve their relationship and keep the family together. During the bill's second reading earlier this month, Labour's Leanne Dalzell told Parliament the reduction in counselling hours is being done to save money, despite evidence that counselling works. The number of lawyers who told us that they saw people for that initial advice, they sent them off for counselling, and they never saw 95% of them ever again. And that's because the counselling service works. It might cost $9.67 million, but it's incredibly effective. 
The Law Society's Gary Collin agrees that people are helped by counselling and says it's good that the number of counselling hours has been increased from what was originally envisaged. We often see this as an accumulative thing. So people attend counselling, then they might attend some parenting calls and then mediation and as a last resort, the court. So reducing counselling takes out an important step in people's progress toward resolution. The new family court process will see cases progress down one of three tracks depending on the seriousness of the issues involved. Judith Collins says a triage judge will look at the paperwork for each case and decide what track it should be on. With about 4,000 of the current 26,000 applications that go before the court expected to go down the simple track for those who've managed to agree on issues relating to their separation. She says one of the main benefits of the proposed reforms is that they put children at the heart of the process and enable people to avoid going to court unless they really need to. The bill originally severely reduced the amount of lawyer involvement in family court cases, but since the select committee hearings, a change has been made to allow lawyers to participate earlier in the court process at a judge's discretion. However, Judith Collins says lawyers should only need to be involved in cases where there are allegations of violence or abuse. She believes the Parenting Through Separation course and mediation should help most parents to work out issues relating to what happens to their children after separation. Parents are not monsters. Even dominant parents are generally not monsters. Parents are involved in these matters because they genuinely care for their child. I'm staggered that people think that suddenly, you know, people who have loved each other so much that they chose to have babies together should suddenly see the other one as a monster. The reduction in lawyers has been criticised from many sides, but Judith Collins says she doesn't understand why they would need to be involved, particularly in cases on the simple track. You've got a judge there, you've had six sessions of mediation, you've had parenting through separation, and you're talking about, you know, this weekend's access. What the hell do you need a lawyer for? You've got a judge there who can say, no, the child's going to go this day and come back that day. Where's the law in it? Judith Collins says some of the criticism from lawyers has happened because they're afraid the changes will hit their bottom line. But the Law Society's Gary Collin disputes that. Family court lawyers choose to do the work because of their commitment to the people that we work with. Often it's the lowest paid work in the legal field. Lawyers in the family court are deeply committed often to children and to their clients. He believes judges will be quick to use their discretion to involve lawyers at an early stage in proceedings because studies around the world have shown that cases involving self-represented litigants take a lot of time. They clog up the system, they make it difficult for judges. There's no one to reality test them. They're deeply emotionally involved in their own affairs and they don't know the law and they don't know what the court might do. So they create problems in the court. The principal family court judge, Lawrence Ryan, agrees that judges will almost certainly use their discretion to involve lawyers at an earlier stage. He says while in the old days some lawyers did polarise the two sides, the family bar nowadays has changed and lawyers are much more keen to help parties reach agreement. I think that there is a risk that some disputes will escalate without lawyers being involved. That's certainly the judge's experience because, of course, we've dealt with unrepresented litigants for years, but our experience would be with unrepresented litigants that things can get out of hand. 
Heather Hanare from Women's Refuge also has fears about any reduction in legal support for those involved in family court hearings. She says while there will be support in place for those who have disclosed domestic violence, for women who have experienced it but haven't told anyone about it, the prospect of acting for themselves at a court hearing could be terrifying. If they're in an environment and where they are up against their abuser or up against the person who they are trying to effectively secure some protection around their children from, that's going to be extremely difficult within a court environment. So how are they going to let the judge know that if they don't have legal support behind them? I met Maria, not her real name, a survivor of domestic abuse at a park in Lower Hutt. Her ex-partner was a controlling and aggressive man who would yell at her for hours at a time and who once broke his hand while punching the doors and cupboards in their home. He would also constantly check on Maria at work and elsewhere outside the home to see if she had someone else in her life. Maria says his moods became even more unpredictable as a result of drug use. She has real concerns about some of the proposed changes to family court procedures. When you're in that situation and you have no confidence and you have no voice and you have a man that's domineering and, and rules your life for you, there's no way in the world that you could sit down with that person and come to some sort of logical agreement of any kind. It just wouldn't work. You, you, I just can't even think of the words to say. You know, without sounding terrible, it's just bloody ridiculous. While Maria's case would almost certainly go before a judge under the fast-track proposal, she says women are emotionally vulnerable at court hearings and for that reason it's important they have a lawyer to speak on their behalf. They know the legal side. They also know how to keep things in check and keep things in control. When you go to court, both of you get to speak, but it's in a situation that's monitored, obviously, and is safe. And that's a big word for the woman because she needs to feel safe to say what she needs to say. And if you don't have your lawyer there, then you're not going to feel like you're in a safe environment. So you're not going to say what needs to be said. Maria believes Judith Collins is naive when she says that if two people loved each other enough to create a child, they should be able to work out arrangements for its care. Yes, when you get together, of course it's all love and roses and everything's wonderful. And a person who can become abusive can also be the very charming, very caring, very nice person. And I'm not saying that it was bad at the start, because it wasn't. The abuse came after the child because a lot of the time they feel they've lost control because you're giving all your time and energy to that child now. So they feel that, you know, you no longer love them or whatever. Maria is also grateful that her little boy had someone on his side when she and her ex-partner went to court. Without lawyers, you're taking a huge risk with that child because the lawyer knows where that child is going to be the safest, what's going to work best for that child. If you don't have that there and you have the parents fighting over that child, you're just opening up the whole can of issues for that child in the long run. However, Judith Collins is standing by the bill's plan to reduce the use of counsel for children in family court cases. 
She says while they may be needed in some disputes and may do a good job, her years in the legal profession have shown her that in many cases they are absolutely useless. So the argument of counsellor child is that for every child in a situation of a dispute about custody or access or day-to-day care or where a child's going to be living this week, that they have to have some stranger come into their life and ask them questions and interrogate them. How's that okay for a child? Ms Collins says parents should be able to talk to children and explain the plans they're thinking of making and ask the child for feedback. She says the power to appoint counsel for child should rest with a judge rather than one being appointed in every case. However, the plan to reduce counsel for children has also raised alarm in some quarters. Jeff Sanders from Barnardo's New Zealand told the Select Committee his organisation believes they play an essential role in disputes involving children. They are the most vulnerable parties. They are the group that need the greatest level of independent representation. We encourage you to expand the ability for children to participate in pre-court proceedings. There is international evidence to show that the inclusion of children in pre-court processes assists better outcome for children and their families because families hear what their children are saying. That view is supported by Gail Teal, the counsellor from Catholic Social Services. If they feel heard, then they feel that they've had some input to what the changes are going to be for them. And although they're still having to deal with the separation of their parents, they feel like they haven't completely been shut out of the process. The principal family court judge, Lawrence Ryan, agrees with Judith Collins that parents should be able to resolve their disputes over children, but says despite their best efforts, sometimes that just isn't possible. The fact that we have the number of disputes coming before the court currently, and will continue to do so, I suspect, is because each parent has a different view of what's best for their child, and sometimes they just simply can't agree. They don't have to be vindictive, they don't need to be playing games. They can be quite genuine about that, but have different views. Wellington lawyer Amanda Courtney has been acting for children in the family court for 15 years and says it helps children to have a say during a relationship breakdown when their parents are enmeshed in all sorts of disputes and unable to speak for them in a neutral way. She says confidentiality is a big part of her relationship with the children she speaks to, but often there are specific things children will ask her to relay to their parents. And I will say, are you okay with that? Are you worried about one parent or the other being upset by that? And often the child will say, well, I think it actually needs to be said. And the wonderful thing about talking with children is that usually, and more often than not, they have a lot of knowledge about what's happening. They do have a wisdom about them, and often their views are really essential to the um, overall outcome. Amanda Courtney says without the help of their own lawyer, children could be invisible in the court process. She says she also speaks to the child's parents and sometimes the information she gives the court will help couples resolve matters relating to their child a lot more easily. When the parents see the children's views in black and white in a report, sometimes they take a deep breath and step back, in fact more often than not, and they do listen to the child and we can then move forward and come up with an agreement that's not court enforced but is their own agreement that's got their own buy-in and therefore good results for children. Heather Henare from Women's Refuge says taking the counsel for child out of the court process will disadvantage children, especially older children who are capable of clearly expressing what they want. So you've got young women saying, I don't want to go to visits with Dad because when I go there he spends the whole time questioning about what Mum's been doing. I mean, who provides that voice for her? The woman's lawyer can say that, but she's not believed. But if the children's lawyer says that, 
then actually it should be believed because the children's lawyer should have spoken to the child itself and actually got that from the child. However, Alan Harvey from the Fathers' Union says men often refer to the children's lawyer as second counsel for mother. He believes sometimes they can exacerbate disputes and stand in the way of resolution. Yes, children's views need to be heard, but the people that are probably know their children the best are mum and dad. And it's my experience when mum and dad can be brought together and agree on something that works for them, almost always it works for their children as well. So I think for many cases, the Family Disputes Resolution Service will be much better rather than necessarily the automatic appointment of lawyer for child from day one. During the bill's second reading, Labor's Justice Spokesperson Andrew Little questioned whether removing the ability for children to have their own representative in court proceedings would breach New Zealand's obligations under the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child. He told the House the Convention gives children the right to participate in legal proceedings when their parents have parted and make their views known. Article 12 goes on to provide that state parties shall assure to the child who is capable of forming his or her own views the rights to express those views freely in all matters affecting the child. The views of the child being given to you weight in accordance with the age and maturity of the child. And paragraph 2 of Article 12 goes on to say, For this purpose, the child shall in particular be provided the opportunity to be heard in any judicial and administrative proceedings affecting the child either directly or through a representative or an appropriate body. This bill does not provide for that. However, Judith Collins disagrees. The uh, fact is, these are not, in many cases, legal matters. They're matters about what's in the best interest of a child. Most parents will access and get advice and help when they need it. What they really need to do is to stop this industry that is actually using children to feed itself and unfortunately fuels a huge number of disputes amongst parents. One area of the reforms which has received much support is a change relating to cases of abuse. When was the last time you put your arms around me? Leave me alone! If I get a sign on my face, it's long. No! I'm invisible! No! Am I? Am I invisible? No! Just shut up! That was part of an advertising campaign run by the Children and Young Persons Service in the 1990s trying to raise awareness of domestic violence and the damage it causes. Now Judith Collins says the new legislation will expand the definition of just what constitutes domestic violence. We've now included economic violence, in other words someone preventing someone else working or holding money off them as actually domestic violence and what that will mean is that will be able to be assessed and put into that fast-track line, which at the moment the law does not allow. Heather Henare says Women's Refuge has welcomed those changes, including the increase in penalty for those breaching protection orders from two to three years and the expanded definition of psychological abuse. Nearly 60% of our client base psychological abuse would be the main form of abuse. And for many women, they say, it's probably the worst. You recover from being beaten. You don't recover from having your brain messed with. Alan Harvey from the Union of Fathers says removing delays and making the family court more approachable are big pluses in the view of his members. He says they're also interested in a suggestion from the minister that courts may be encouraged to charge costs to litigants who've been unreasonable in the position they've taken in court. As a taxpayer, we shouldn't be funding endless litigation amongst people who just don't like each other. They need to be encouraged to settle, they need to be encouraged to focus on their children, 
and perhaps awarding some costs against them may help them do that. Another change which isn't mentioned in the legislation but which Judge Ryan believes could be helpful is the introduction of a system whereby a single judge would follow complex cases right through the court process. He says that would benefit parties because they wouldn't have to explain matters to two or three judges as their case progresses. The second benefit really is for the judge because the judge sort of takes ownership of the file, wants to see it through, knows the parties, knows the background, doesn't have to start from the scratch again, understand what the case is all about. Meanwhile, Judith Collins says she's listened carefully to those who've had a say over the legislation, and that's shown in the changes made since it was first introduced. During the bill's second reading, she told Parliament the family court hasn't worked as well as it should for some families for years, and that's why changes are needed. They will ensure the court focuses on the most vulnerable and the most serious matters. They will also bring much-needed clarity to court processes and rules. Users will have more certainty and it will be easier for them to understand and navigate the court system. Judge Ryan, who heads the family court bench, is pleased at the large number of submissions made on the legislation. He says regardless of the changes that are made, one thing about family law that probably won't change is that in almost every dispute one party will feel they've had a bad deal and there'll always be a vocal group who say the court is hopeless. I think if you're doing a good job, if the court's doing a reasonable job, then that vocal group will come from both sides, <laughs> fathers and mothers those that are advocating for more strict approach to domestic violence and the other side of the coin. If you're getting that sort of equal spread of criticism about the family court, you're probably doing a pretty good job. <laughs> and I do think we are doing a pretty good job. The Family Court Proceedings Reform Bill is due to have its third reading later this year and is likely to come into effect sometime next year. I'm Anne-Marie May and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or send us a tweet at rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented that programme. It was produced by Philippa Tolley with technical production by Steve Burridge.